This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. A real friend is the person who knows the worst about you and still loves you. There's only one friend like that. His name is Jesus. Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What that verse is saying is that even though he saw the worst in us, the very worst in us, he still loved us to the point and died for our sins. So when God knew the worst about us as sinners and still decided to show the greatest kindness for us, that was John 15, 13, John 15, 13, where he said, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. He knew the worst about the disciples. He knew that they were gonna desert him in his trial. He knew that in advance, that they were not gonna stand with him when he needed them, and he still loved them. He told them he'd forgive them, and he told them in the next verse, in verse 32, verse 32, he said, but after I'm risen again, I'll go before you into Galilee. And that strengthened their confidence in him. As John 13, 1, John 13, 1, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was coming, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He knew they wouldn't be faithful. He knew they were, not, they were gonna turn on him, turn away from him, rather. And he's, he was still faithful. Why? because 2 Timothy 2.13, 2 Timothy 2.13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Now, he also told them in advance because he had just told them that there was one of them that was gonna be a traitor, that was Judas Iscariot, and he didn't want them to think that, well, okay, that was him, not me, I'm not in danger. He told them in advance that they were gonna desert him, they were gonna run away from him, so they would not feel secure in their position. It's only Judas who's vulnerable, not me. He told them they were gonna leave them. He told them that he wanted to raise an alarm. He wanted to alarm them, he did alarm them, so that they would stay on guard and they wouldn't fall asleep in their guardhouse of watching for their own temptations, he told them that. And so now, during the supper, or rather, before the supper, before the breaking of the bread, before the drinking of the wine, Judas was discovered as the traitor, and Judas left. He left the meal early. And then the meal was peaceful. The meal was quiet. The meal was nice. The meal was a wonderful time. But as soon as this meal was over, 
very shortly, a storm was going to break on them. There was a storm coming, and they had no idea that it was going to. The meal was wonderful. It was a great time. Oh, this is my body, which is breaking. Oh, wonderful for you, for you, for you. That's fantastic. But in relatively short time, it's all going to change. It's going to be a storm. It reminds me of the time when I went out with my youngest son, and we were, we were fishing on the other side of the island in front of Loretto there in Carmen Island. And the weather was just beautiful. It was so beautiful. It was calm as a lake. And we were about 10 miles off of shore. And when we started back, the wind started to blow. And, and when we came around the tip of Carmen Island there into the sea in front of Loretto, that wind was blowing hard, very hard. And the waves were getting higher and higher because the, because what happens there is that the wind comes down the Sea of Cortez and then there's in Coronado Island. It forms a wind funnel and it really blows hard. The wind was racing down. We were struggling really to keep the boat from capsizing. It was really bad. And the motor, we'd run the motor hard when we were in the valleys of the waves, and then we'd back off totally off of that and, and, and just kind of try to coast up to the top of the waves before we come crashing down, you know, and, and, and really there was no steering of the boat to try to get to a location. It was just steering the boat to try to keep it from capsizing. And I remember at one point, I went flying up in the air. I thought I was going to land in the water, but it was really something. But I finally made it back to the harbor captain. I already closed the marina, but they let us in. And what was so interesting, well, so dramatic about that was that it happened so fast. It went from a calm to this, the waves were nine feet tall. They were crashing over the boat. And that's what happened on this night when Christ told the disciples in advance that the storm was coming and, and they should be on their guard. But yet it would have been such a wonderful, peaceful meal. How could that be? That's a picture of our lives. That's a picture of our lives. One moment in our lives, we feel so peaceful, so quiet, everything's just great, you know, and just like the disciples of the supper, and then the next moment, we're in a storm. Like two friends of mine this last week where one friend got a phone call that his daughter had just been diagnosed with a very large brain tumor on her pituitary in New York. And that was, there's a storm. And another friend got a phone call that his 27-year-old son had a massive tumor on his chest that they, they don't know what it is, but it's caused him to stop eating and he's in the hospital. All of that, unexpected storms in our lives just pop up out of nowhere. And that's why Christ said in verse 31, this night, He's emphasizing this night, it was going to be this night when all seemed to be a perfect night, a quiet night, a peaceful night, that the disciples were gonna face the trial of their lives and they needed to be on their guard because the Bible says in Proverbs 27.1, Proverbs 27.1, boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Like those who feel like the past prosperity is a guarantee for the future prosperity. It makes them feel like, well, let's just go get drunk, which is what they said in Isaiah 56, 12, Isaiah 56, 12. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink and tomorrow shall be as today, only much more abundant. Those two words that he said in verse 31, this night, express how we have no way to predict what's coming around the corner for us in life. Just like that rich man in the Bible. He had no idea what was coming to him that night, that one night when he went to sleep, 
feeling so secure in Luke 12, 16. Luke 12, 16, Jesus said, he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room to bestow my fruits? He said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns, I'll build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. But take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, that was a man who thought he had many years to enjoy himself and all that he had gotten. And what happened? He was not living on guard, ready for the next terrible disaster to hit. And so what did God call him? A fool, thou fool, because he wasn't ready to die. He wasn't thinking that I'm, I could die tonight and I have to be able to give an account to God. That very night, God said, Luke 12, 20, Luke 12, 20, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then Christ told them that what was going to happen later was gonna be a fulfillment of a prophecy. He said in verse 31, verse 31, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered abroad. Where does that come from? That comes from Zechariah chapter 13, verse seven. Zechariah 13, seven says, awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow or my companion, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. So in that prophecy of Zechariah 13, seven, it is the awake, O sword, against my shepherd prophecy. God is saying, he's saying to a sword, wake up, sword. It's the sword of God's wrath. It's the sword of God's anger. And it's going to fall on the son of his love, Jesus Christ. Just exactly like the hymn puts it, Oh Christ, what burdens bowed thy head? And it says it this one, this says it this way. Jehovah lifted up his rod. Oh Christ, it fell on thee. Thou was sore stricken of thy God. There's not one stroke for me. Thy tears, thy blood beneath it flowed. Thy bruising healeth me. That's what it's talking about. So Christ tells his disciples in verse 31 that what's gonna happen to them that night is gonna be a fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah 13, seven. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and the man that's my fellow. And the Hebrew, like I mentioned, the Hebrew for the word fellow, amit, is a word that means collaborator or companion. So Christ is telling his disciples that God the Father is going to give this command of Zechariah 13, seven. He's gonna give the command of Zechariah 13, seven. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And he's telling his disciples that that night had come, which was going to be the same as Isaiah 53, 10. Isaiah 53, 10. 
it pleased the Father to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Now, that evening, as they're walking toward the Mount of Olives, he tells his disciples that the time has come when it's going to please the Father to bruise him and put him to grief. Not because Christ deserved it, but because we deserved it, that's why. And we needed a pure, innocent offering for our sins, for us to be able to go to heaven. And Christ, he's the only one. There was no one else. He's the only pure, he's the only innocent, the only possible effective offering. And that's why it says in Isaiah 53.10, Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Father to bruise him, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He's the only soul that's acceptable to become an offering for our sins. And that's why it pleased the Father to wake up the sword of his wrath to fall on the son of his love, Jesus Christ. And it says, smite the shepherd. Christ had already said, I'm the good shepherd. In John 10, 11, John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So, Christ is God the Father's good shepherd to bring us home to God. When God the Father sent Jesus Christ to heaven, he said, go as my shepherd. You are my shepherd, go. 1 Peter 2.25, 1 Peter 2.25, you were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So we're wandering around in life We're wandering around farther and farther from God, the Father, and God sends his shepherd, that's his shepherd, Jesus Christ is his shepherd, and he says, bring him back, bring him home to God. And that's why God the Father called Christ his shepherd in Zechariah 13.7. Zechariah 13.7, awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Christ is God's shepherd because God sent him as a shepherd to bring us back to God. And this is the night, it's come now. This is the night of the striking of the shepherd that will result in Zechariah 13, seven, Zechariah 13, seven, the sheep shall be scattered. But God would regather the sheep. He's going to regather the disciples and that's what's meant at the end of Zechariah 13, seven, Zechariah 13, seven, when he says, I will turn my hand upon the little ones. It's so wonderful to see God say that, that how he's gonna regather the disciples because what it says in Zechariah 13, seven is the same way that God gathers us to to himself. He says, my hand, that my hand, he says in Zechariah 13, seven, I will turn my hand upon the little ones, Zechariah 13, seven. You know, you kinda look at at a human body and what is it? in the human body that stretches out from the body, extends itself, it's the hand. We stretch out our arm to another person. Even when meeting a person, we stretch out our arm to shake hands. How are you? That's our choice. Our arm reveals our choice to welcome another person. And the whole part of the arm is that it's that part which stretches out to another person, and so it is with God. God's arm stretches out 
He said in Exodus 6, 6, Exodus 6, 6, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm, God says. And that's what God does for us. God stretches out his arm to help us. When we realize that God has done that, we say the words that Moses said in Deuteronomy 26, 8. Deuteronomy 26, 8, when Moses says, the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. That's what Moses put it. And that's the picture for us of God. God with an outstretched arm, and an outstretched arm is a person, and that person, uh, let me say that again. An outstretched arm is a person, and that person is revealed to us in Isaiah 53. It's all about Jesus Christ and his death for our sins. And Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus Christ and his death for our sins. And Isaiah 53 starts out by, let me introduce Jesus Christ to you with these words. Isaiah 53.1, Isaiah 53.1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Jesus Christ is introduced to us in Isaiah 53 as the arm of the Lord revealed. Jesus Christ is the outstretched arm of God. Jesus Christ is the extension of God's love to man. Just like, just like we have this wonderful verse in Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us. Just, just substitute the word extend, extend in place of commendeth and say it like this, Romans 5.8, but God extends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God extended his love toward us by Jesus Christ coming down from heaven, exchanging his clothing, which was the glory of God, for a human body so that he could encounter man, he could meet man. Reminds me of a, of a circle that, that's very common in Mexico at least, with an arrow on it in the parking lot and that's all the companies you have to have a circles in the parking lot with arrows that point into it, in the parking lot, we have one at Scanabodies in, um, in Tecate, and when there's a disaster like a fire or an earthquake, and you actually practice this, but anyway, everyone is supposed to go to the circle with the arrow you know, pointed in the parking lot, and that's the meeting point where you'll be helped, see? Just like when there's a disaster in life, God has a meeting place where God will bring to men, help. And that meeting place is Jesus Christ. He is the circle with the arrow. Going, he's Jesus Christ. It's just like that circle with the arrow on it because Jesus Christ is God's meeting place where God will meet man to bring him help. Just like we tell all the people at Takati, so when you hear the alarm, when we practice this, you hear the alarm, everybody goes to the meeting point. You're not supposed to go to any other place. You gotta go to the meeting point. And God says that when you hear the alarm and you're in a disaster, you go to the meeting point. That's Jesus Christ. Go to Jesus Christ because he is God's meeting place for man, where man meets God. And because Jesus Christ is God's outstretched arm to God, Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord that's revealed from Isaiah 53, 1. And when Jesus Christ said, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. When he said that, come unto me, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, 
he was saying, come to God's meeting place. After disaster, come to God's meeting place. And that's Jesus Christ. Come into God's outstretched arm, because Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord. Now, verse 32, when he said this about them all being offended, was bad news for the disciples that Christ was gonna be struck by God the Father and they would all be scattered. But that is not where Christ left them hanging because he said in verse 32, verse 32, after that I am risen again, I will go before you to Galilee. So he's just told them that all the disciples are going to desert him in the time when there would be no one to stand with him. I mean, who should stand with him? These were his closest friends. These were his closest confidence friends that he had on earth. The 12, he already told them that one of them was gonna betray him, but now he's told them all are gonna run away from him. They're all gonna run away. And he's gonna be left alone, nobody standing by him. But, goes on, verse 32, he says, is after all that disloyalty, after all that failure to be devoted to him, he tells them he's not gonna forsake them. He says, you'll forsake me, I won't forsake you. Because after he's been crucified and all the disciples are running back to Galilee for their lives to hide themselves from those murders in Jerusalem who just murdered Christ, that at that time when they're fleeing from Jerusalem to Galilee, he tells them that he's gonna go before him. He says, I'll meet you in Galilee, I'll meet you there. That's a wonderful, comforting assurance for the disciples that even though they left Christ all alone to suffer alone, even though that Christ was not gonna leave them alone in their deepest need, he'd be with them. That's a tremendous thing. It reminds me of what happened last Wednesday. Last Wednesday when I was scuba diving with my friend and the dive master guide. And so, you know, first the dive master says, well, I think you'll take about 14 pounds of lead weight you know, on your weight belt to get you under. I says, I said, there's a lot more buoyancy in this body than that. I told him, I said, it's gonna tell you, kept hitting, kept adding more and more weight. So it was 27 pounds of lead weight. That's a lot, isn't that, Clint? That's a lot. 27 pounds around me to get this whale under the water. Well, we had all just entered the water and we were floating, bobbing around on the surface of the water with air in our vests so we could float and we're bobbing around there on the surface and, and, uh, and everyone, everyone else kind of be bobbing up and down. So they're breathing through their regulator, but I don't like to use my regulator. I don't like to use my air in my tank up, so I use the snorkel. So I'm the only one there breathing through a snorkel so I can conserve the air in my tank. And then the dive master you know, gave the signal to, to release the air out of the vest so we could go down, you know, pull a cord and out goes the air and down you go. Well, I forgot that I was breathing through my snorkel. So as I went down, my snorkel closed off and I had no air and I was sinking, I was going down. Well, obviously because I'm here this morning, <laughs> I quickly found my regulator. But for that moment, when my air closed off and I was sinking, I panicked and that panicky feeling stayed with me all through the dive. Now, the Sea of Cortez has some very deep canyons in it. Some of them are 10,000 feet deep. It's an unusual place. And at one point of the dive, we were at about 50 feet under the water, and we were kind of over a rock cliff down there, 
and I swam out over the cliff and I looked down and it was so deep, I couldn't see the bottom. It was so deep. And I thought, what if, I thought, what if I just dropped uncontrollably down into that deep, dark canyon and I thought I would be all alone. And then for a moment, I felt really scared and panicked. And then immediately came this assuring thought to me that even if I dropped down to 10,000 feet into the dark there, I wouldn't be all alone because Christ would be with me even into that deep, dark canyon. Why? Because of Colossians 1.27, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.